You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. This episode we are looking at Gun Crazy. Uh, Gun Crazy is a 1950 crime thriller directed by Joseph H. Lewis and starring Peggy Cummins as Annie Laurie Starr and John Dahl as Bart Tear. The two screenwriters include the most well-known of the blacklisted screenwriters, Dalton Trumbo, under the pseudonym Millard Kaufman, as he was preparing to go to jail. Subject of a 2015 biopic, Trumbo, in which the victimised lefty was played by Brian Cranston. Special mention also for cinematographer Russell Harlan, and it was produced by the King Brothers, Poverty Row B-movie producers Supreme. Lindsay, what's it about? Well... When gun-obsessed Bart Tear wanders into a carnival and sees pistol-packing Annie Laurie Starr, super-sexy sharpshooter, we just know that this story is going to end in a bang. Bart joins the carnival. Do you not like my pants? <laughs> yeah, I do. Bart, Bart joins the carnival, but friction with Annie's ex-beau and carnival owner Packet sees them leave for married life, financed by a crime, a life of crime, robbing banks. Bart loves to shoot but won't kill. Laurie loves to shoot and will kill if she really has to or if there is an R in the month. (laughs) Can a shared love of guns and ammunition get them through or are the targets on their backs just too big? Gary, what's wrong with this picture? Ah, what's wrong with this picture? It's So it's always classified as a film noir, uh, but it is so completely unusual in its conception um, in the way that it is written, in the chemistry between its two leads, in the amount of sex and violence that it is quite open about because it could get under the studio's mm. radar because it was a B-movie Poverty Row production. And um, the brilliant set pieces and bizarre camera angles and completely unusual art direction of the great Joseph e., uh, H. Lewis, um, that it just feels weird. From beginning to end, I think that's true. You know, it's it's very fetishistic about guns. So yeah. not not one, but both are in fact gun crazy. And we we start off seeing Bart as a as a young boy who kind of learns to shoot, but as I say, won't won't kill. So when he's out with his friends, who as grown ups will turn out to be the editor of the newspaper and the local sheriff, and that may play a part in the plot <laughs> later on. Uh, when he's out with his friends as a as a boy. Uh, he won't shoot a kind of a deer, although it's in yeah. his sight. So yeah. right from the start, he's this pacifist, pistol-packing guy. <laughs> um, Which doesn't make much sense in, it, uh, no, in no, itself, does it? He says that, you know, when I, when I shoot, that's when I feel at peace. That's when I feel like I'm mm. somebody. So guns are a kind of a power thing for him, but that power does not 
kind of rest in 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 taking, taking life. life. No, uh, he st- he steals a gun uh, as quite a young boy, so he's sent off to kind of boys juvenile prison mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. and then he has a stint in the army. So we see him as a young boy, and mm. then we see him grown up as an adult, and he's and he's John Dahl. So reunited with his friends, he ends up at this carnival, and the first time we see Laurie, uh, the, the Annie Laurie star. Mm. Uh, Peggy Cummins, as you mentioned, the first time we see her. So she's this sharpshooter in the carnival and she has this show where she shoots balloons and she shoots cigarettes and and lights them. She shoots flames off candles. And the first time she sees Bart, she she points her pistol at him and fires a blank kind of right at his face. Mm. And he's delighted. Yeah, He's absolutely. absolutely delighted. So right from the start... And film noirs do often have this kind of I saw her and everything else yeah, faded away yeah, kind of yeah. thing that we get through narration. There's not a, a narration in this. It's all it's all done through dialogue. But right from the start, there's this kind of amour fou between mm. them, this this kind of fiery, fiery love forged through a shared uh, love of guns. And there's a lovely scene. So, you know, she she takes on anybody in the audience for $50 and can she mm. beat them? Mm. And of course, Bart's going to step step up to the plate and he is wearing a crown with candles, so she's got to light the candles by firing at the candles on, on top of his head. And she she kind of closes her eye to, to focus, and he winks right back at her. So this gunplay is flirting. Gunplay yeah. is kind of sexual for them. And there's, a as you say, a real heat and um, a passion between them that they could get away with. That There were the, the, so many censorious eyes on these cheapy B pictures. Nobody really cared what they were saying. Yeah. Um, and so this 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 fire, I keep saying fire, heat. It's a very, yeah, yeah. it's a very... It, it's it's a very passionate film, and you can tell that between between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think there's there's a right at the beginning. It is one of the it, the great scenes of the film is their meet cute, um, which <laughs> yeah. which isn't that cute. It's it's obviously a meet cute was is you know the phrase that that's turned up years and years later as you know uh, couples meeting in romantic comedies. So I'm kind of using it ironically. They but they. The way these two people look at each other, it's it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, uh, and particularly, I think the way Peggy Cummings, uh, who is astounding in this film, looks at him, it, it's you're just not used, even now, um, to women looking at men. The way she looks at him, it, it, he is a piece of meat. It does. It and does look like he wants to. She wants to eat him. It really. She really does, and it's fantastic. And and then you're kind of taking in again because you're so bold along. It has this film has fantastic momentum and it's a movie, you know, it, with all of the things where you float away and you're just carried along with the plot and the story and the relationship and whatever. And it's only afterwards where you sort of think. So basically, it's just a really simple commoner garden carnival thing that people stand against a wall and have a crown put on there and somebody shoots yeah. like directly at their head <laughs> to prove that they can shoot well. Um, I'm going to guess that's a slight exaggeration. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying health and safety rules were big in, in you know, 1950s America, but, 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 surely. Sure, but surely there'd be a few, yeah. too many casualties to get away with. Well, um, you know, how, how she's introduced, and it's, it's very much Bart likes guns, and she's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, gun crazy. 
Um, but yes, true. Who already thought of that? When Packet introduces her, he says, so appealing, so dangerous, so lovely to look at. Yeah, and so all yeah. the way along, right from the start. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say she's a typical femme fatale. They, they, they get married kind of relatively early in the, in the film when they decide to strike out on their own, uh, leaving, leaving Packet behind. But you mentioned it, it, there's a lot of movement and, and there is. There, I mean, there's, there's a big scene that we'll talk about mm. when they're in their car. Oh, my God. They're yes. constantly in their car. And so they, they go, they leave the carnival, they go on this honeymoon, they drive, they drive places, they end up places, they honeymoon against a series of backdrops, which is yeah. just, just lovely. Um, but Laurie's used to a certain kind of living and she likes a certain amount of action and she's not really into having a kind of white bread life as no. Mr. and Mrs. Bart this, this is her key line in the film. I want action. Yeah. I want action. Um, it's fantastic. It, it, she's, she is a subversion of the standard femme fatale mm. in, in movies. This is in noir movies. So the standard femme fatale, she's... After stuff, uh, generally money, yeah. you know, and, and whatever, uh, and a comfortable life. But she just uses sex to, to get it, or mainly. Uh, and she lies and she cheats and whatever. But she is not, in most movies, you know, the the assertive protagonist of violence. She persuades some guy to do it. Um, it, it Annie, Annie Laurie star, uh, Laurie, is not that. She She's going to do it herself and she just thinks it's pretty useful to have a guy around yeah. to help her do it yeah and um uh, she she wants action she loves the action it isn't just she wants the money it isn't just she wants the lifestyle mm. she wants to be in shootouts yeah she wants to commit crimes she's thrilled by it and um and i mean sexually thrilled sexually thrilled by, by it too. absolutely do, do you think she loves him oh the the are they in love question i think yes and I, but I base that on a kind of movie love. Um, there's, a, there's a beautiful scene um, that always actually really in a film that is not really about poignancy. Um, I, yeah. I, that does move me. I know exactly the scene you mean. When they try to leave each other. Yeah. They, 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 they're, you know, they've committed a crime. They, they realise it's better to split up. Yeah, they're hot because they're, yeah. a couple is what's being looked at, yeah. looked for. Exactly. So they get in separate cars and they they drive away from each other and they literally get a few yards and they go running back into each other's arms. And it isn't just him doing it. It, it, it is her. I think she does love him in her fashion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she says to him quite, quite early on, you know, when she's talking about action, she says to him, um, you know, I want a guy who'll do anything. Mm. Bart resists slightly and she says look if you're not into that you better kiss me goodbye now, of course that's going to be the kiss of death for him because he yeah. kisses her goodbye and there is the sexual spark between them and then guess what they are out robbing banks and yeah, they're, yeah, off, yeah, they're, yeah. Off, they're off doing that um, but let's um, because so you mentioned they're, they're always on the move and I, I really want to say that so at some point they're on a roller coaster yeah. they're on a merry-go-round yeah. they can't stop moving Yeah, and that's key for this film is that they're always on the run they're always on the move so even at the start she's in a travelling carnival he's been in the army so yep. he's been he's been travelling as, as well the notion of home and that's often true in, I think in film noirs it's full of uh, full of drifters it's full of people who are far away from what they used to be full of people who've reinvented themselves motion, 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 motion and they can't stop and as soon as these guys stop of course this is a film noir we're not expecting picket fences at, yeah. at the end and, and, and a happy ever after. 
as soon as they stop, that's their unravelling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I just want to say something about cars in, yeah. in, in, in yeah, film, yeah, yeah, if that's yeah. all right. So we'll come yeah. on to the car in this. And it's it's kind of like, it's kind of like, and and Baby Makes Three, it's like, and Car Makes Three for the mm. bulk of this film. A car is so important in, in, in this film. Um, but often in, in noirs, as I say, it's, it's about drifters. It's about, yeah. and and the, the whole idea of, America on the move is is kind of what makes noir possible. So it's hitchhikers and it's yeah. roadside diners and it's motels yeah. and it's yeah. um, gas stations and people reinventing themselves all the way along the line. Yeah, I think this is really important to Gun Crazy. So there's a few things about that that really sparks for me. About firstly. Um, th- most noirs um, and uh, crime thrillers of the time are very much set in a place. Mm. They are set often in Los Angeles or New York or Chicago. They are in a city. Um, and even if they are not in a big city like that, they are definitely set in a place and they have a fixed location. Um, gun crazy there is never a place mentioned. It's just the boond. It's just the general mm. small mm. town America boondocks. It's, um, the, it's the middle, isn't it? It's, it's where you've got to get in somewhere. your car to get anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, and none of the places are big. It's not an urban film. Uh, it, 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 there, a lot of the scenes, there are as many scenes played out in some kind of countryside than there are uh, as are played in the city. It doesn't have that thing which, um, say, like uh, the asphalt jungle has. Um, where, um, you know, there's a thing, a theme about, oh, the city is filthy and we have to get out to the country. That'll be our, our salvation. No, it, it's just this is where they are. And they're on a road to nowhere, Yeah. Um, you know, as the Talking Head song has it. And it, it, so that idea of movement is it feels very constant, circular and without resolution. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of the, the thing about cars is, is um, somebody said about uh, cars in, in noir they're going nowhere, but they're getting there really fast. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's the point. So, I mean, just to come to the to the the car in in Gun Crazy, they're on their way to commit a bank robbery. They're dressed in their kind of carnival western clothes because mm. I forgot to say Bart does join the carnival at, at some point, and they're yeah, they're a double yep. act. Um, so they they've got these western clothes. They're in this car, and we are in the car with them. And this is this is real. It's not back projection yeah it's not yeah. done in a studio oh, it's done God. on a road and we are seeing what the actors are seeing through their windscreen the camera guy is in the back seat of the car yeah so they, they had a real car with the back kind of taken off it the cameras in the in the back we see the back of their heads mm. and they are talking she's driving she's always driving yeah because she's always in the driving seat yeah she's always propelling yes. them forward to the next yes, robbery yes, to yes. the next crime she's the she's the driver and she is the the driver he's sitting in the passenger seat now that's already quite unusual yep, for subversive. Noir. Yep. very very subversive and they're having a conversation about let's go and rob yeah. this bank and it's not scripted and it's very much oh yeah watch this watch this turn here yeah, yeah, yeah. we need to find a parking space hopefully yeah, we'll be yeah. able to find one yeah just behind that maybe yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's this real life conversation couple. a couple having a conversation about finding a parking space at Sainsbury's on Saturday yeah but, yeah. but they're going to go and rob a bank and they're dressed in western clothes it's just it, it's, it's insane it does implicate us as well because obviously we're, yeah. in, we're in the back seat we're in the back seat, we're, in the back seat. Um, we're on our way to, to rob this bank and they love the car so much in this film. I don't mean the characters. I mean, like, you know, the director yeah, or the yeah, writers yeah, or whatever. Yeah. 
The car is loved so much in this film that when they stop outside the bank, luckily she does get a parking space and maybe it's not a Saturday morning, yep. um, <laughs> Bart goes in to rob the bank and we don't follow him. Uh, I, that... We sit in the car with Laurie. And now, there is a reason for that because a policeman comes along and she has to distract him and, and things like that. But we sit in the car and the bank robbery happens off screen. Yeah. Now, presumably, I don't think they had permission necessarily to, to film here. That's what that's what that scene yeah, to me. Kind of guerrilla filmmaking. They, they, yep. They're just doing it on the on the slide. So presumably Bart goes into this into this uh, bank. It's just like, hi guys, I'm John Dell. We're making a film. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody move. <laughs> um, and and you you immediately well I don't know I I immediately um, think of Reservoir Dogs. Uh, yeah. Many many years later, and the fact that the film starts with we know there's been a heist. We know there's gone yeah. wrong. We're not invited to the heist. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at the the fallout. We'll get backstory about what happened beforehand. Yeah, we're not going to get invited to the heist, and I love it. I love it. It, it it's like, and um, what makes this scene for me? Well, no, there's the whole scene is brilliant. It's my favourite long take in cinema. I mm-hmm. think it's even better than the one at the beginning of Touch of Evil, um, Orson Welles. It's my favourite long take in cinema, and um, but at the end of it, you know, they've parked or whatever. And yes, dear, you go out and rob the bank, dear. Um, and then a policeman turns up outside, you know, uh, a proper plot point. You know, we're back to film world. Um, and she goes in and she decides, oh, blimey, well, I can't just wait for him to run out. You know, I've got to do something about this. So she gets out and starts to engage him in conversation. Oh, you were from the carnival? Yeah, we're, we're from the carnival. That's why I'm wearing his clothes. And then Bart runs out and it's this brilliant sort of karate chop um, yeah. Which maybe the gun is in her hand. I've watched it the so gun. many I times. Think the gun is in her hand, and, and uh, the, the idea is that she's supposed to hit him with one chop. He's this huge guy, yeah. and he's he falls like a tree. Uh, she she is she is kick ass. Yeah, I mean, but he's lucky he doesn't get just plugged Shot. in the guts because <laughs> yeah. that is that yeah. is her her, her mechanism. For That's everything her mo. Else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mo, you know, shoot first, ask questions yeah. later. So I'm amazed. You know, she took pity on him but, by just hitting him. But Bart's. Bart's there, and the important thing about her later killings is that Bart doesn't know they've happened yeah. until he reads about it in the newspaper. So yeah, true. he is he is a kind of hold on her. And actually, yeah. when they're when they're leaving that scene, there's a really uh, it's, it's a shot that you know if you look up gun gun crazy images, you'll often see this shot. Yeah, and she's oh. uh, she's holding her her gun in front of her, and he's got her by the waist, trying to drag pulling her, her pulling her away. Um, and it's uh, again that's unusual for women to be Absolutely. that have that level of agency in a film noir. Yeah, 100%. And there's something about that scene. I mean, I, I think we'll probably talk a bit later um, about all the things it's influenced uh, rather than do it right now. But I that's it, that photo, yeah. that still, yeah. it feels like it invented French New Wave. And it did. It did. You know, it's... Like, you they see, based their whole thing you on see, that one shot. You see Breathless in that, don't you? I mean, it's, 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 a, clear, it's a clear influence. And, you know, we should say, of course, that the naming of, of film noir, we haven't said this before, yeah. the naming of film, film noir was down to French critics. Yeah. It wasn't... Maybe a genre. It, it wasn't, wasn't a genre. genre. It, it was an attitude. It wasn't, it wasn't something that people set out to make. So no. how, how it happened was that, you know, there was this series of crime films in the, in the 40s. France, occupied France during the war, couldn't see any of them. So it started probably with the Maltese Falcon in 1942. Um France did not see any of these films until 1946 and then they saw them all at once mm, and that's it. the French critics saw a pattern that perhaps American filmmakers uh, and they weren't all American filmmakers some of them were emigre filmmakers as well 
they they hadn't intended to make yeah. films that that conformed to a pattern, but the French saw a pattern, French critics saw a pattern, and so named it film noir. Now, what I'm not sure about is whether by 1950, when Gun Crazy is made, is Joseph H. Lewis is he familiar? With That's a the, really good question. I'm trying to remember which year. I'm trying to remember which year it was that this particular French quit, critic 46. coined the phrase. Forty six. It was as early as forty six. As early as that. So potentially he was a by smart 19, guy, yeah. old Joe Lewis. Pot- potentially Maybe. by 1950, people are aware of are film, getting self aware. Are getting self aware. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because before that. You would set out to make a Western, you would set out to make a, a comedy. You wouldn't set out to make a film noir because it wasn't a thing. No, it wasn't any such thing. You know, and, and what the French identified was an attitude, mm. a look, a certain type of use of black and white, a certain type of use of camera angles, a certain mm. type of use of lighting, and repeated motifs like the private detective, the yeah. hard-boiled dialogue, the femme fatale. Yeah. The you unreliable know. narrator. And, you know, the air of pessimism, pessimism and doom. Yeah. Um, hence, black. Black film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so absolutely. I, I don't know if Joe Lewis... I don't know if Joe Lewis was self-aware when he made Gun Crazy. Mm. Um, what I do know about Joe Lewis is that um, I think he directed, I think it was just over 40 movies. Wow. And that all of them were poverty row. And like m- most people who were doing those kind of cheap B movies, which, um, you know, existed because um, people at that point expected to go and see, when they went to cinema, they expected to go and see two movies. Um, uh, there was a support movie uh, all the time and um, the, the cinemas needed product. Um, so some very, very clever entrepreneurs um, like the King brothers were absolutely, you know, apparently, you know, dons of this. Um, well, you know, they kind of, it was a racket to them. It was just, you know, mm. get the scripts in, get the, you know, come up with a title, come up with an idea, you know, um, exploit a, something that's particularly popular at the moment, uh, crack them out, crack them out, crack them out. Joe Lewis became known as somebody who had a visual style um, that other directors of that from that sort of uh, level of filmmaking didn't have. Um, and this particularly came from a film, um, a musical that he directed called The Minstrel Man, um, which, you know, uh, earned rave reviews as much <laughs> as you can in, in those kind of B yeah. movies. And he was... Um, asked to do um, set design, I think, and, and cinematography on the Jolson story. Oh, really? Um, and from that moment on, he got he got a bit of a reputation as, yeah, it, yes, he, he cranks them out cheap like like all these other guys, but he's got this visual flair um, that, that some of the others don't. And it's very, very evident on Gun Crazy. I've only seen uh, a, one of his other films, I think, <clears throat> And that, um, no, two actually. Um, one is So Dark Night, which is a funny, a weird little noir um, and definitely worth seeing. And The Big Combo, which is, you know, a, another another film noir, which gets a lot of big up and mm. is also really worth seeing if you you see it. Um, one of the interesting things that um, I, I just, you know, wanted to read out a quote, um, Lindsay, because I, I, I think you're going to like this, is that um, he was uh, tracked down for an interview in 1980 by um, the film journalist Danny Peary, who put together these books about cult movies. And um, he was interviewed about uh, Gun Crazy, and Danny Peary asked him how he got this incredible level of performance from John Dahl and Peggy Cummings. And he said, "Um, I told John 
your cock's never been so hard. And I told Peggy, you're a female dog in heat and you want him, but don't let him have it in a hurry. Keep him waiting. That's exactly how I talked to them and I turned them loose. I didn't have to give them any more directions. <laughs> now, I just can't help feeling that that should be put on the wall of, yeah. I don't know, yeah. Christopher Nolan, David yeah. Fincher, Guillermo del Toro, uh, Wes Anderson. Yeah. This is maybe how you direct actors. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know? Absolutely. Tell no, them what they're great. supposed to be doing and then get out the fucking yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> but there you go. Maybe that's just me. Well... But, you know, that's why loads more people have heard of Christopher Nolan. Yeah, and I know. Et more pretentious, more pretentious. But, but um, Gun Crazy, uh, I think we... Oh, yeah, well, you've got more plot to do, haven't you? I will do. I, I, uh, I didn't, but I will do. So... Uh, They have done this uh, big robbery and it's been a big one, a kind of uh, factory and, and warehouse uh, where Laurie has been working. She's been working, you get the feeling she'd be working there for a couple of weeks or a month or something to kind of prepare to prepare the ground. Um, they do this They do this robbery. Uh, it it doesn't quite go as planned. They, they do get away and there's actually a really exciting scene where they're kind of fleeing through a warehouse and mm. kind of firing behind them and... Uh, Unbeknownst to Bart, Laurie has killed two people mm. in the course of this robbery. Mm-hmm. But he's a, a bit ahead of her. He doesn't know that that's what's happened. But suddenly they're they're too hot, and this is this is where they kind of they agree to separate for three months, but they can't do it. So their fate is sealed. As soon yeah. as I mean, like like everybody in film noir, there comes a point where their fate is sealed. They make the wrong decision. Um, and so they decide to to stick together. Now their disguise is that they're an ordinary couple in an ordinary car, so they get through uh, a roadblock and and things like this. Yeah. But but things are getting very hot for them, and um, they decide. I think I can't remember exactly what happens, but there's something happens to their car, and the only place really that's open to them now, they can't really get anywhere is they have to go back to Bart's hometown. Bart was brought up by his sister. His sister uh, still lives there and now has kids of her own. So they go back to Bart's hometown. Now, Bart is already mm. a known wanted man at this mm. point. His his schoolboy friends, the newspaper editor and the sheriff, they still live in the town. And they're hiding out at his sister's much... His sister is not really into it and certainly does not take to Laurie in any way. But the dragnet is kind of closing in on them. And after a couple of days there, they decide that they're going to make a hoof for it. Um, oh, this is another thing that Laurie does. She grabs his baby nephew, so Bart's own baby nephew, her, his sister's little baby, and says, we'll take a hostage. They won't shoot us with a kid. And Bart, instead of like looking horrified at her, just kind of smiles and says, oh, you. You know, it's that kind of, <laughs> takes the baby off her, t- puts the baby back in like down, the crib. Dear. Yeah, don't overreact. <laughs> and puts the baby back down there. So they, they go they go off and they have to leave their, their car behind. They're in like mountains or swampland and the dragnet is closing and closing and closing. I won't give you the end, but... 
Oh, it's a think, tough one. Mm. I, I was really thinking, even as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, do we spoil the ending? Do we not spoil the ending? It, it's... As I say, it's film noir, mm. so yeah. these they are criminals. <laughs> yeah. So even in a yeah. B movie, they have to they have to be punished. They have to pay for, for, they, for, for they, their crime. They have to pay, and Laurie has to get justice, and the justice that she gets is the right justice for yeah. her. Yeah, I, I I think that that was a great compromise, and I think before we go, go off and talk about other things, the ending is beautiful. Uh, it, it, this is where you understand what an amazing director Joe Lewis is. It, it, it should all be tawdry and sleazy and gory. Uh, I don't know, not gory, uh, but uh, violent. Mm. You know. Instead, with judicious use of dry ice, camera angles, brilliant sound design, he creates a world where the outside world slips away and there's only two people in love. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, it is, it is incredible. It's brilliant. And, it's, and it's, it's away from that urban noir thing that you mentioned before as well. They are right out in the middle of, middle of the country and their, their car has finally let them down. And yeah, the, yeah. The, their car has... It, nowhere left to run. There's nowhere left to run. And <laughs> so... He goes home and he's in the countryside near near his childhood home where it all began. Actually, probably not far away from where he refused to shoot the deer when he and his friends were out hunting. Yeah, it's, yeah. it may even Might be the, be the same patch of ground. Oh my god! I wonder if we watched it again. We'd see. We'd that see that it is. That's really interesting because he refuses to shoot at the beginning. Yes, but must shoot at the end. Yes, yes, yeah. Let's let's, let's leave it like that. I think. Um, before we talk about maybe a couple more favourite scenes, I, I think yeah, I'd just like to to flag up because you mentioned something about it, Lindsay. That the 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 theme of the itinerant man uh, in crime mm. movies mm. and film noir of that era, which actually came from something direct and newsworthy and topical. Um, men came back from the Second World War and didn't have jobs. Yeah, and um, they suddenly there was you know more men wandering. Um, you know, small town America, looking for work, aimless, not really knowing what to do, not knowing what a post-army career mm. looked like when you've just endured the trauma of fighting in a war. And so many of the best noirs, there is a, there is a man generally who is kind of rootless and kind of aimless. Yeah. And that's a key part of his fate. Because he's not tethered to anything. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and in a way, that's why Gun Crazy is slightly different because mm. they are tethered to each other. I mean, often in film noir, double indemnity out of the past, there's an enmity between the main couple. There isn't an enmity between between no. these two, as no. you say. Even at the end, they're they're in love, but the end has come for them. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It's 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 beautiful. It's a beautiful ending. That's that is really interesting, and it it fits in with that car because to be itinerant, you need to either have your own car or you need to hitchhike in somebody else's or you need to bop somebody on the head and steal their car. Yeah, yeah, or all three. And, <laughs> you know, and, and again, and it goes back to the beginning, which you mentioned again, Lindsay. You know, this is an 86 minute film. Tons and tons happen in it, but it's 86 minutes. Mm. It's short and sharp. And one of the things about that is. 
he is sitting with those two childhood friends that he's seen after he comes back from the war. Mm. He's still got his uniform on and whatever. And he's he's sitting there. He's 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 talking about his life plan, but yeah. his life plan is yeah. Well, I you know I'm not. I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll become a, a gun teacher. So I'm going to teach people how to how to shoot, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do that, and then I, you know I'll be established and 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 whatever, and you know, and the next fateful thing, hey, why don't you come out with us tonight? Yeah, Let's go to the, the carnival. carnival. Yeah, and then he walks into a room, sets eyes on a woman, and his life is destroyed. Yeah. So to that degree, she is a femme fatale. I mean, yeah. partly she is fatal to a lot of people who come into yeah. her orbit, yeah. but but also that fatalistic thing. Her, yeah. his 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 destiny is is assured. And his, his friends say to him, you know, they, they look at her and they know she's trouble. And one of them says to the other, she ain't the type that makes a happy home. And one of them... <laughs> I've forgotten about that. I mean, to say, the least, to say the least. <laughs> and one of them says to Bart, you know, there's some men who are dumb, who are smart about women, some men who are dumb about women. And You're Bart's one of the dumb ones. Dumb, dumb about women. Yeah. And I mean, and she is she is incredibly sexualised. The, 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 the camera... Uh, when we first see her, is very much at bum level, and she's wearing these kind of skin tight kind of cowboy trousers and a boot and a belt and 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 a gun, and that's the focus even before we see her face. But you know, um, Peggy Cummins was uh, British. Yes, went to school I think in Brighton actually. One of the you know the buses here are named after people, and I think one of the buses is named. I is think named you're after right. Her. I think yeah. you're right. And she only died in uh, 2017 actually. Wow. So wow. age na- age 92. She was in a host of films, British and American, most, mostly American. Um, she was in Night of the Demon, though, yeah, if you know that one, that's that Jacques, second, Jacques Tourner. Second biggest movie, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, she stopped working in uh, 1961, I think she got married, but I think her last film was Dentist in the Chair with Bob Monkhouse. Oh. oh. <laughs> but Bob Monkhouse, Gary. I heard yeah, Bob no, Monkhouse. Uh, yeah, obviously, I know. Bob Monkhouse, yeah. Hero icon, but <laughs> dentist in the chair probably wasn't among yeah, his greatest achievements no, either, no, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but anyway, you know, <clears throat> kind of interesting long-term actress, and the, the performance that John Dahl gives is because I don't know him very well. I know him from uh, Rope. Rope. Uh, I was going to say Strangers yeah. on Train. That was wrong. Rope. I know him from Rope. He's okay in Rope in the Hitchcock film. He's 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 okay. Oh well, okay. I, I don't but know he's to, great. But he's great in this. I, think. I don't know where to start with that because I wanted to go. Oh, there's something I wanted to go back to about okay. Peggy Cummings, but um, I think it's one of the really underrated Hitchcock films. I, I do, and I think he's even more than James Stewart. I think he's the main reason that film works. And um, but but he had a, a sort of interesting and and, and slightly sad. Career, um, there was only eight screen credits, um, uh, one of which is Rope, one of which was Gun Crazy, and another one which was his first where he wa- he was Oscar nominated as Best Supporting Actor uh, alongside Betty Davis in The Corn is Green. And it's one of those kind of things where that was that first mm. performance was his best shot at, and, and it was all kind of a bit downhill. And he had a very small part in Spartacus and then soon after that he went back to the stage um, he was always rumoured to be gay, and and I think one of the reasons why those key performances in Rope and in Gun Crazy have an edge is because they 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 suggest that he's gay yeah. very strongly. Yeah. Um, and Rope, that's crucial. Yeah, and it's, in, it's quite a brave brave thing to do if you're determined to keep your yeah. homosexual as homosexuality a secret as you. Would have had to do in the, yeah, in the, in the 50s and, you know, until until relatively recently. 
even until today. Um, yeah, so as you say, that, that, that kind of homosocial, at least homosexual relationship between him and Farley Granger in, in Rope is, is yeah. kind of key, key to it, really. It's absolutely key. And um, so he, he died young. He, he died at, at the age 50 in, in L.A. And um, it, it was rumoured that, you know, it was, uh, I think it was a heart attack, but, the, uh, you know, complications down to, to uh, alcohol, sadly. Um, and he's one of those figures that he looms so large in those two in these two movies. Um, uh, he's so so good in both of them, and and you wonder where he went. And and it, you know, some people just don't. Yeah, they don't fit with Hollywood. Yeah. And and I think his particular kind of there was an edge that I think partly came from his sexuality. He was not in any way the square jawed hero, but there's there's no way that he just seemed like. A victim or a character actor, he he just didn't quite fit. Um, yeah. So that's kind of sad. And I just wanted to mention about Peggy Cummings was um, she wasn't supposed to be in Gun Crazy. Oh, she not. Uh, that was supposed to be Veronica Lake. Oh no, I'm not seeing that at yeah, all. Yeah, well, I I think I don't don't mean to. Again, it seems a bit horrible to say, but I think everybody got lucky. Basically, Veronica Lake was drowning in drug and alcohol problems. Mm. Uh, this was a. a a very short shoot. This was a B-movie production. Mm. You couldn't have actors on set mm. that were going to hold things up by being on drugs or drunk or, or being divas or anything like that. So Joe Lewis made the harsh decision, she's out. Mm. Um, and a friend of his recommended um, Peggy Cummings. Mm. And Peggy Cummings was literally on her way back to Britain. <laughs> when she got the call, uh, it it was kind of like, yeah, I've given up on Hollywood. Hollywood's given up on me. Oh, yeah, all right, I'll do this one. Yeah, that'd be useful. Yeah, useful money. I'll I'll do this one part, and the rest is history. You know, it it's. I think that Gun Crazy is has become such a cult film that she, you know, she's going to be around forever. Yeah, uh, as long as cinema exists, yeah. Peggy Cummings is going to exist. And Gun, Gun Crazy definitely should should be part of that. You know, there's a, another Spartacus connection you mentioned that John mm. John Dahl was in it, and but Dalton Trumbull, one of the writers of this, yes, was of was blacklisted, very famously blacklisted for his leftist beliefs. Uh, he was a pseudonymous yes. writer on Spartacus, and Kirk Douglas, who was the star. And the producer, though he may have been problematic in in many other ways, actually insisted that Dalton Trumbull got a, a credit on the, on Spartacus, and thus kind of single handedly broke the blacklist. Yeah, in yeah. nineteen sixty. And wasn't there um, um, a JFK moment? Was it a JFK? Oh, moment? that's right. Yeah. So uh, JFK. Uh, uh, yeah. So when. Um, Kirk Douglas was insisting that Dalton Trumbull get a credit. The studios were saying, fine, we'll ban the film. We won't show the film. We won't show the film. Uh, but JFK actually, obviously, could get any movie he wanted in the White House, but went to see Spartacus in the cinema and so gave it this kind of presidential seal of approval, thus bringing an end to the blacklist. There you go. Um, do you have any other scenes, Lindsay, that you think... You know, that, that, that are just among your favourites. We've done the amazing car scene. We've done yeah. the end. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think her picking up that nephew is just one of my favourite <laughs> favorite scenes. And she's just so divorced from reality. And he's so in love with her that he's just very, oh, come on now. Yeah. Rather than looking at yeah. looking at her in in horror, I just I just think it's it's a film. I don't know if I do have any other favourite scenes, um, but it's a it's a film 
that I've watched over and over again. I saw something for the first time. I've seen it a dozen times, maybe. I saw it a couple of weeks ago with mm. a pal who'd never seen it before. Yeah. And I watched it again uh, for this uh, recording. And there's a bit where she's confessing that she has killed those two people in the warehouse robbery. Yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed this. We only see, They're in a room. We only see the back of their heads. I'm not noticed that. He's wow. slightly in front of her. She's yeah, slightly yeah, more in yeah, the foreground yeah, yeah. towards, okay. the, towards okay. the camera. And we see the back of her head and we see the back of his head. They're not facing each other. And that's the first time I've ever seen that. And it's, yeah. it's like... It's like they're in that car again. It's like Brilliant. we're seeing the back of their heads in the Brilliant. same order. She's at the left, he's at the right. So I think that leads neatly onto um, the car thing and, you know, uh, the importance of Bart and Laurie in a car um, and the influences that this film has had. Because mm. I don't, I think uh, many listeners will have already gone. Hmm, Bonnie and Clyde sounds yeah. a bit like this. <laughs> you wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> now, one version of this is uh, when journalists asked whether, um, you know, the makers, you know, Warren Beatty, Arthur Penn, whatever, of Bonnie and Clyde had ever seen Gun Crazy, they all went, oh, Gun what? Yeah. Gun who? <laughs> I bet they did. Another story is that um, the, uh, but the original Bonnie and Clyde, as uh, what the script was originally offered to Francois Truffaut. Oh, really? Yes. And uh, that's quite, you know, well known that he looked at it and, and, and said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really flattered. You know, he hadn't been around that long. Um, but he said, I, I don't think this is my American vehicle. Um, and um, he um, started to talk to Arthur Penn and Arthur Penn came to see, visit him and Jean-Luc Goddard. And they played Arthur Penn gun crazy. They Excellent. showed it to him. And I believe that story because, in particular, there is, if there's such a thing as a note-for-note -note remake of someone's costume, <laughs> Faye Dunaway gets a note-for-note -note remake of Peggy Cummins' beret mm -hmm. and sweater and tight skirt costume mm -hmm. in Gun Crazy, and they both rock it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's one of the great iconic bits of, you know, costuming. Yeah. I've just bought a berry, actually. I wonder if I can rock that. <laughs> Thanks for the support. Are you ready to go for a crime spree? Then? Always. Hold me back. <laughs> Have you got a nephew? <laughs> You've got an impotent or gay husband that you can take with you? Not just at the moment. <laughs> On that note, shall we? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shall we wrap it up? How okay. many? How many pistols? How you, many pistols do you give it give for crazy? quality and for weirdness? For weird, um, I give it eight. Uh, for quality, I give it ten. I concur. I cannot agree more, uh, Ooh, more widely. Lovely. Eight for eight for weird, but this film is an absolute must-see. And I, I kind of feel we could sit here all day and not quite do it justice. Yeah, We've told you a lot about it. We've told you a lot about the scenes. Visually, it's something you really have to see. Yeah. For your yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, lovely to look at, but it's a very dangerous film. <laughs> Till next, next time. time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.